Okay, good morning everybody. Today's daf is Baba Kama daf Peites. We left off in daf Peches and Beis. We are four lines from the end of the page on Peches and Beis. Ella Mai. Today's share is sponsored by Dr. David Lander in honor of his wife and children and Lili Nishmas' mother, Golda Basimcha Allah Shalom. Also sponsored by Daniel Sadian for the success of Klal Yisrael in these times and Hatzlacha for our soldiers and for our captives and also sponsored by my friend Rabbi Philip Moskowitz in memory of his daughter Esti Moskowitz, Esther Tihila. Bas, Rav Gavriel Pinchas, Rav and Aliyah. We thank all of the sponsors very, very much for the uh, for the sponsorship. So what we're going to discuss today is first we're going to uh, introduce a concept of Takanas Usha, that there was a particular Takana, that if a woman sells her Nuchsei Melug, that the husband gets those Nuchsei Melug back when she dies. And that was a Takanas Usha that the husband gets to retrieve those Nuchsei Melug upon the death of his wife, even though she had sold them during his lifetime. So the Gemara's and I have two proofs to the fact that this Takanas Usha must exist. And then, on the bottom of Amad Aleph, the Gemara is going to discuss why it is that a married woman, we said that Pigyas and Ra'a, that don't start up with a married woman, because whatever Chavala you do to her, you're going to have to pay for. Whatever Chavala she does for you, she doesn't have any money to pay, because Chal Nash Kansisha Kanabaila. So the Gemara is going to discuss, well, why don't we just make her sell her Ksuba? Meaning, uh, she has an asset, so let her sell her Ksuba for Tovas Hana'a, for whatever people would be willing to pay for, to, to assume her position in the ksuba and uh, then she'll have money and use that money to pay for the uh, chavala. So why is it that we don't uh, require her to do that? The Gemara is then going to elaborate even further that maybe uh, at least if she's chavala b'bayla she should, uh, she should have to do that to sell her position in her ksuba and along that discussion we're going to, uh, we're going to introduce the uh, concept of uh, the possibility that it's usher for a couple to stay together without having a ksuba. That's going to be uh, something that comes up in the context of that discussion. And then on Ahmed Bey's, uh, at the bottom of Ahmed Bey's, the Gemara is going to discuss who is considered to be the owner of Avde Nikhse Meluk, meaning a woman brings in Nikhse Meluk, and among the Nikhse Meluk are Avadim. So there is a halacha that an Evid is Yotse B'Shem Va'ayin, that if the owner knocks out the tooth or the eye of the Evid, the Evid goes free. Who's the owner? Is it the Isha? Is it the Baal? So we're going to have a machlok as Tanaim, and going into, t- from the end of today's daf, and going into tomorrow's daf, we're going to have the three or four different explanations of what that machlokas tanaim really revolves around, what exactly the nukudas hamachlokas is. So again, let's pick up Elamai, four lines from the end of the page, on daf, peiches amin beis. So uh, we, had, we had said yesterday that we tried to make a comparison between a son selling Nikhsei uh, Aviv and the Mechira being Chal, even if the son predeceases the father, versus a case of uh, a woman who gave her Nikhsei Malug to, uh, to a child, uh, to one of her children, as a Matana, and then she dies, Bechaye Baila. So we said, oh, aren't those two cases comparable? So we had said that, I think it was Shmuel that said, no, the two cases aren't comparable at all, but we're trying to figure out wh- why aren't they comparable. What's the uh, what, where's the uh, <coughs> where's the breakdown in the comparison? So we suggested one breakdown in the comparison yesterday, and today the Gemara says Elamai. Why does Shmuel say that this Mishnah about the son being allowed to sell the father's nechasim and uh, the mechira being chal, even if the son predeceases the father, is ain't a doma the Mishnah seinu is not at all like the case of a woman who gives her nechasim look to her child and then dies before her husband dies. Mishum takanas usha because there is a takanas usha. Dam Rabbi specifically when it comes to a married couple. 
couple uh, and the nichsim lug and how we treat the nichsim lug. There's a special takana to Rabbanan that overrides the normal dinim, and therefore you can't compare anything about how a woman handles the nichsim lug with any other uh, type of transaction in Kenyan payros. What is the takana susha? Dam Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Chanina They made a takana in Usha. The Gemara Rashana Daflamidal says that at the end of the tukufas bayis sheni and afterwards the Sanhedrin went to Esagolios. It went to ten different places where it was exiled, one place after the other. And, and one of the places that the Sanhedrin went was a place called Usha. And that's where the Sanhedrin was misakin this takana. So it's called takana susha based on the location of the Sanhedrin at the time that they made this takana. And the takana was as follows. If a woman sells her while her husband is still alive and then she dies, even though while she was alive the husband only had kinin peros in the nechasim and kinin peros are not kinin aguf, right? Remember, that's what nechasim aluk are. Nechasim aluk, it means that she's really the owner of the property. It's just that he gets the husband gets to benefit from that property. So the husband only had Kenyan payrolls in that property. She had the Kenyan aguf, and she sold the property. Nevertheless, Habal the husband can confiscate that property from those who purchased it from her because the Chachamim wanted to uh, strengthen the Shibud Nechasim and made the, the husband like a Lokeach Rishon, that if the woman dies during the husband's lifetime, he's able to get those Nechasim back from the Lukuchos. The reason they did that is so that there shouldn't be a sense of animosity uh, between the husband and the wife that she's uh, that, that she's doing things that make him not be able to yarshin her. So therefore, even though Mekar Adin, the 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 the, uh, the the son should be able to be zocha in her nechasim, like we say in the Mishnah Babasra that if the son sells nichsei aviv, the lokeach is zocha because the kinyan peros of the av and of the bal is not considered a kinyan aguf. So the one who actually owns the property and not the one who owns the kinyan peros is able to affect transactions. But over here, there's an overriding din called takarasusha that the uh, husband gets the, the nechasim back because of Takana Susha, even though the husband's rights in those properties were only a Kenyan Peros right. The, but that's a special Takana that, uh, that they made. There is a Machlokas Rishonim that, okay, after she dies, the husband gets the properties back. What about while she's alive? Who owns the Gufa Karka uh, while she's alive? I mean, she sold these properties to Lukuchos, so obviously the, she can't sell the Peros because the Peros belong to the husband. So the Peros of those properties are still going to go to the husband. But while she's alive, who's considered the Bailim on the property. So the, the Rambam in Parachat Beis of Hilchas Ishus writes that the Gufa Nechasim belongs to the Lokeach. It's just that after she dies, the husband takes it away from the Lokeach. Whereas the Rush in the fourth Parachat Ksubis, Simon Yudzayin says, no, even before the woman dies, the Nechasim are Becheskas Meaning, what's the point of saying that the, the Kuchos are going to own it if right now they can't have the Peros and as soon as she dies, it gets confiscated from them anyway. So, so where's the ownership? What does that accomplish? So they, they, they don't own it at all. What's the nafkamina, whether they're the owner or not? Like we just said, <laughs> they don't get any ownership rights anyway. So the Chalkas Machokek on the side of Shulchan Aruch Nebuchadnezzar and Simon Sadi, he writes the nafkamina is Lagabe Ksivas Prusbul, that you only write a Prusbul for someone who has Karka. So uh, is that Lokeach considered someone who owns Karka if he bought the Nechsei Melug from the woman while the woman was uh, was still alive? So that would be the nafkamina. The Chazanish and the Kutub and Chashemish, but Zayin says another nafkamina is as far as doing a Kenyan of metaltal and Agav Karka. Now one of the uh, one of the ways that we can do a Kenyan on metaltal is, is is to be Kona Agav the Karka, that you do a Kenyan on the Karka and uh, and by dint of the Karka the metaltal and come along 
as uh, as well. So uh, so is is this his karka that he's able to do a kinyan on? So these would be the nafkaminas. Now, uh, according to Rabbi Yochanan, the kinyan peros is kikinyan aguf. It turns out that a husband who has kinyan peros milchsemulug um, is actually the real owner of the karka the whole time. Meaning luchora, this takanasusha is only necessary if you assume that the husband's rights to the peros don't re- don't make him the owner. The kinyan peros are lav kikinyan aguf, and therefore really the woman should have the right to be able to sell the Nuxim Ooh, so they had to make a Takana Enusha that the husband can override that way as soon as she dies, he's able to take it back. But Lashitas Rabbi Yochanan, the Kinin Peros, we have to try to assess why did they ever have to make a Takana Susha that the husband is Motsimiyad Alakuchos? The woman should have never been able to sell them in the first place because his Kinin Peros is a Kinin Aguf and therefore should prevent her from ever having sold it in the first place. So that is a question that all of the Rishonim struggle with. Tosos in Dibra Bu'usha suggests that the takana was needed for a case where the husband is not eating the peros of these nechasim, meaning he was already kosev law. He wrote to her that before he married her, that he had already written off any rights to these peros. So if he already wrote off any rights to the peros, so then he doesn't have a Kenyan peros. So Mela, she's going to be able to sell, and that's why we need takana solution to say, yeah, but he's still going to get it back after uh, she dies. The Rashba and the Ramban suggests a little differently that according to Rabbi Yochanan there is no Takana Susha because it was not necessary to make a Takana Susha because Kinyin Peros that the Baal has is Kinyin Aguf and therefore the woman wouldn't be able to sell it anyway Rabbi Yochanan doesn't agree that there was a Takana to this effect you don't need a Takana to this effect according to, uh, according to Rabbi Yochanan but then the Ramban suggests differently he says that you know maybe without Takana Susha even though the husband would be able to be motzi miyavah but he would have to pay for that because he had a din of a yoresh who in something right now only at the, upon the death of the, of the wife. The takaras chacham was that he has a din of a lokech rishon, which means that he, he gets to take the property back without having to pay for the property back. So it's a huge tafkamina for the, uh, the takaras usha, even, even according to Rabbi Yochanan. Okay, so that's the takaras usha, that if the woman sells nechse milug, that when she dies, the husband gets those nechasim back. So I'm Ravidi Baravin. I'll show you a brisa from which it's muchach that this takana susha exists. We're going to bring two major rayas that this takana susha exists. Raya number one is as follows: that uh, the, the the din is when it comes to edim zomim that if edim say we're made that this man divorced his wife and he already paid her ksuba. The guy, for his part, says, "I don't know what you're talking about. I'm happily married. I never divorced my wife. It was, I don't know, this this whole thing is." Is, is, is made up and obviously I never paid her ksuba because I never divorced her so why would I have paid her ksuba and Harei talks of Mishamnashto and the, the truth is that they're still married and she's still you know uh, living as his wife and doing all the normal things a wife does Vinimsu Zomin and it turns out that those Edim were Edim Zomin other Edim came and said the day you claim to have seen this divorce and the payment of the ksuba so there's no way you were able to see such a Misa so the Torah is Mechai of the Edim Zomin Whatever they were trying to cost the other guy. So, what were they trying to cost too? How do you assess this? So, Ain Omrim, we do not say that since they falsely testified that the woman already received her ksuba and therefore they're trying to cost her the rights to ever collect her ksuba, that Yishalmukal ksubasa, that they're going to have to pay uh, the entire value of her ksuba. The reason they, we're not going to say that is uh, because it's not a definite that that's what they were costing her. Meaning, by saying that her 
ksuba has been paid already, they're not necessarily costing her the full value of the ksuba. Because I don't know, even if you let things go and see how, how life plays out, that she's ever going to collect her ksuba. She may predecease her husband and she'll never collect her ksuba. So it's not a definite that one day she's going to get this ksuba, and by them testifying that she already got it, they're costing her the whole ksuba. So that's not what they're going to pay. Ella tovas hanaas ksubasa. Rather, what do they pay? They pay the value of her current position in the ksuba. Now, we don't know who's going to die first. We don't know if she's ever going to collect or if the husband's going to die first. He's going to divorce her. We don't know. And therefore, we assess how much would a person be willing to pay to assume her position in the possibility of collecting that ksuba. So, tovas hanaas ksubasa. How do we assess tovas hanaas ksubasa? We try to figure out how much would a, would a person be willing to pay for this contract, for this ksuba, where you have the possibility of a windfall, right? You have the possibility of getting it all paid. Let's say ksuba is worth $30,000. So if you buy this contract and you're lucky enough that the, uh, that the husband dies first or that they get divorced... So then you're going to get the whole $30,000. Shimnis Armala Onis Garsha, that if the, the husband dies first or they get divorced, you'll get the whole amount of money. But you, you're also taking a risk that that if she dies first, then you're not going to get any of it. And the husband is going to yarshin all of the nechasim that, uh, that she owns. And uh, obviously he won't have to pay her uh, ksuba money. So the lokach will end up with nothing. So that amount of money that a person would be willing to pay to assume that risk, that risky position, he's obviously not going to pay $30,000 if the, the maximum he's ever, he's ever going to get is $30,000. Right? It's a 50-50. He might not get anything. So maybe he'll pay $10,000 dollars or something like that or five thousand so that's how we assess the Tovasana. So why are we mentioning this? Because this is a raya that there's such a thing as Takanazusha. Why? Because if you think that there's no such thing as a Takanazusha, that if a woman sells the Nikseimalug that belonged to her, that the husband's going to be able to be melting me out of the kuchos once the woman dies. And, and rather, you're going to say, no, they never made such a takana. You're going to say, whatever she sells, she sells, and it's a valid mechira. Well then, Amai, why does the Brisa say that uh, the value of her ksuba is not the same value of everything that's written in it? Because uh, if she were to die while the husband's alive, Yerushena Baila, the husband will yarshin her, and will yarshin all of those nechasim, and the lokech will lose out. And therefore, the Edom don't have to pay for the ksuba. Tazbin ksubasa legamri. Let the woman sell the nifsetzon barzel that are written in the ksuba entirely to lokeach, and therefore, even after she dies, the husband will never get those nechasim back. So the value of the ksuba is not only the tovas hana; it's not all speculative. There is some concrete assets right now that she owns. Meaning, if you don't hold of takanasusha, she can sell her nechasim right now, and the husband will never be able to override that sale. So that's concrete assets. That's actually worth something. So it shouldn't only be about Tovas Hana'a. So uh, Elamite must be that there's such a thing called Takana Susha. And there are no concrete assets. So uh, says Gemara, nah, it's not a riot that there's such a thing called Takana Susha. Amra Abaye, even though you do see from the Bryson that the woman is not able to sell a ksuba, that's not a riot to Takana Susha. Im Amru Melug, if we said that without Takana Susha, the woman would be able to sell the Nikhse Melug, where the, uh, the reason is that since uh, when she's uh, 
uh, when she's married to him, they're still they're still hers. The kidney aguf is hers, uh, and, and if they go down in value, she's the one that loses out. And if they go go up in value, she's the one that benefits. So therefore, it's in her rishos to sell them. And had it not been for the takana susha, the husband wouldn't be able to do anything about such a sale. That's true about nixay malug, but yomru benixay tzom barzel. Would we also say she's allowed to sell the nixay tzom barzel that are written into the ksuba? That's what the brisa was talking about. Those nechasim are for sure <coughs> in the rishos of the Baal that if they go up in value or go down in value, that's, that's a, 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 a gain or loss for the Baal. And even without a Takanatsusha, a woman is not able to sell those things. So that's why the Bryce is saying that the Edom don't have to pay the full value of the Nechassim in the Ksuba, because the Nechassim in the Ksuba that we're referring to are Nechassim Barzel, which of course she's not allowed to sell when their husband's alive. It's just that if she dies while the husband is alive, the husband will uh, will yarshin her, just like he's, he yarshins all the other Nechassim that, uh, that she that 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 that, uh, that she never sold, and she's able to sell those nechasim only uh, for the tovasana. That if the husband dies first, or if they get divorced, that she's going to get those nechasim back. But if she dies first, the husband ain't will yarshin it like the Bryce says. So it's not necessarily a riot to takana susha because takana susha related to nitzim alug. This uh, discussion about selling her position in the ksuba was about the nitzitzon barzel. So once we mention this idea. Of Tovas Hanoa says Gemara Amar Abai Tovas Hanoa Holvas the other name of Milsa. Once we're on the topic of Tovas Hanoa, let's say a din about Tovas Hanoa. Let's say a woman sells her ksuba Tovas Hanoa for the Tovas Hanoa, meaning she sells uh, someone the rights that she would ever have to collect the ksuba if she becomes an almana or a grusha. So the isha havia. So uh, that that money that she gets goes to her, and the husband doesn't get any portion of that money. Because if you want to tell me that the tovasana, the money that someone's paying for her position in the ksuba goes to the husband, so then why does why does the brisa say when it comes to Adam Zomin that are made that the woman got divorced and already received her ksuba that they have to pay her the tovasana of the ksuba? Can't the Adam say to her, What what money did we cost you? If you would have sold the tovasana, you wouldn't have gotten that money anyway. That, that, that belongs to the husband. So why should we have to pay you the Tavasana? We weren't trying to cost you anything. So what, you're, we should pay your husband the Tavasana? We said something that benefits the husband. We said that he already paid the Ksuba. So we certainly weren't trying to cost him any money, so we shouldn't have to pay anything when we testify that you were divorced and that your Ksuba was already paid. So, Amrav Shalman Mishum Dika Revach Besa. No, even if the husband receives the Tavasana, there's still a benefit to the woman by selling her Ksuba. Meaning, if a woman sells her position in the Ksuba, so she's got a $30,000 ksuba, she's able to sell it for $5,000, that someone's willing to uh, take that risk for $5,000. Even if that $5,000 goes to the husband, that's considered a benefit to the woman. Because when there's $5,000 extra dollars lying around the house, so they get to live a little bit more easily. They get to live with, uh, you know, without tightening their belt so much. So that's something that she's going to benefit from the ravach pesa for the, the, extra, the extra money that's around the house. So it's mistaber. That the husband is just going to be more generous in his spending when he has more uh, more money at his disposal. So it would turn out that she does have a hefsid from the edus that she already had received the ksuba, and that's why the edim have to pay for that. So it's not a raya that the tovas hanah, the mechiras ksuba, necessarily goes to her. Even if it goes to him, the edim are going to have to reimburse her. Now it turns out, according to uh, the the point out, according to this tarot of the Gemara, the hanah that the woman gets is not really the full value of the tovas hanah. 
it's much, much more limited. Meaning someone is willing to pay, let's say, $5,000 for her position in the Ksuba, but he'd give all that money to the husband. So what's, he, what, what's she getting from that? Uh, the happiness that you get from $5,000 extra around the house. What's that worth? Uh, $50? I don't mean, that's, that's not, that's not going to be worth anywhere near as much. L'chora, they should not have to pay the full tovas to the woman. They should only have to pay whatever that, uh, that imperceptible, uh, barely perceptible benefit uh, really, really is. Um, the... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, so that, that, that's a ha'ara, the Yachron point out. So the Gemara brings a halacha here. Amr Rava, Hilchasa Tovasana, Liisha. The halacha is, though, if a woman sells a ksuba for Tovasana, she gets the money, not the husband. Um, and the husband doesn't even get the payros from that money. Meaning, it's not like other nichseim alug, where the halacha is that you buy karka with it, and the guf akarka uh, belongs to the isha, and the husband eats the payros from there. No, the husband doesn't get payros. Matam, my time, why is it that the payros don't belong to the husband? Because payros takinu rabbanan, payros the payros lo takinu rabbanan. The chamor masakin that the payros of the woman's nechasim go to the husband. But the peros of the peros that come from her nechasim, which don't come from the original peros themselves, they're only a side benefit that come from uh, from elsewhere, the chum were never masakin that that belongs to the husband. So since that uh, profit of the selling of the tovas and the ksuba is not considered the peros of the nechasim that, that are in the husband's rushos, but rather it's considered a side profit, the husband is not entitled to that. So now the Gemara says, I'll bring you another raya, that takanas usha must be a thing. Again, remember the takanas usha was that if a woman sells her nukhsay maluk while the husband's alive, when she drops dead, the husband takes that nukhsay maluk back. So how do I know that that's true? So Kiyasra Papa Rafuna Bradrav Yeshua mi Bebrav, when Papa Rafuna Bradrav Yeshua came back from the base of Madrash, Amri Tanina, the Takarasusha, they said we have a raya from a Mishnah that Takarasusha is a thing. And what's the Mishnah? It's the Mishnah we had on Daf Pezayin. We said don't start up with an Evid or an Isha, because if you start up with them, you're only going to lose. If you assault them and you damage them, you're going to have to pay for whatever you do to them. But if they assault you or damage you, they're not going to have to pay for anything because they don't have anything. Because they don't have any money to pay you. Ooh, but, but if there's no such thing as a takanasusha, what do you mean a woman doesn't have anything? She has nichse maluk, so you're right. The husband eats the payroll of that nichse maluk, but has been nichse maluk She should be able to sell the nichse maluk, and the profits that she gets from selling the nichse maluk, she should be able to use to pay off uh, that which she owes for assaulting uh, another party. So how can we just assume a woman doesn't have money? If Takaras Usha doesn't exist, a woman has the right to sell the Nechse Malug and she has the right to the money that she gets from the sale of the Nechse Malug. So she should be able to pay off whatever she owes. Says But even according to, to that logic, Nina Midisa Takaras Usha, even if you're going to assume that Takana Susha exists, and therefore she's not able to sell Lagamri, she's not able to sell her Nechasim Lagamri, at least she should be able to sell the Nechasim Lug for the Tovas meaning how much would a person be willing to pay to assume the risk of her position in the Nechasim Lug? What's the risk of her position? That if uh, the husband dies first or they get divorced, whoever's paying for it will now be the owner, the happy owner of this Nechasim Lug. If she dies first, he's going to lose it all. So that's still worth 
worth something. If the Nuxay Malug is worth a million dollars, so granted, no one's going to pay a million dollars for it if the husband could take it away when the woman predeceases the husband. But someone might pay a quarter of a million dollars for it if the husband could take it away because on the, on the bet that you know he'll do he'll do an actuarial uh, analysis and see you know if she's a smoker and if he uh, exercises you know if trying to figure out who's going to die first, how much she drives him crazy and whatever. So he'll figure out who's going to who's going to drop dead first and, uh, and and try to try to figure it out from there. Vititinle and they'll give the uh, the nechbal the 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 the, the, uh, the money that you get for pay, for selling. Let the woman sell her nuchsim look for tovas hanaa and use that money to pay uh, for the, the, the her assault victim. Ela delesla hachanami delesla. No, it must be that we're talking about a case where she doesn't have nuchsim look. Meaning this is not a comment about takanas usha because it, with or without takanas usha she should be able to access some money if she has nuchsim look. So it must be that the Mishnah, when it says that she has no money, is talking about where she doesn't have Nechsei Melug, because if she had Nechsei Melug, she would have access to money. So it says Gemara, but wait, every woman has access to some money in the following sense. Why don't we say that? Don't start up with a woman, because if you start up with a woman and she assaults you, she's never going to have any money to pay you, because whatever she owns, her husband owns. Can't she just sell her position in the Ksuba for Tovas and use that money to pay for the, uh, for the assault? We're assuming like the sheet of Rameir that a woman can't really sell her ksuba because you're not allowed to stay married if you sell a ksuba. A couple's not allowed to stay married even for sha'achas without a, without a ksuba. The, uh, the, the Torah Chayim, one of the Achronim, raises the question, why do we assume Dafka like Rabbi Meir that she can't sell a ksuba? Even according to the Chamim, say you could say you could stay stay shaloshanim without aksuba v'lo yoser, but not beyond that. So anyway, she's not allowed to sell aksuba. She plans on living and uh, happily uh, married for more than two or three more years. She's uh, she's not going to be able to sell aksuba anyhow. So the Torah Chaim suggests that even though she's not able to sell um, uh, the the ksuba uh, for a mechira olamis, but maybe she'd be able to sell two three years worth of her position in the ksuba. Meaning, how much would you be willing to pay me uh, for the possibility that if in the next two three years um, uh, that uh, that my husband drops dead, that uh, that I, I'd be entitled to a windfall, I'd be I'd be I'd get that payment after three years, you get nothing. But to, you know, to, to assume that position for two three years, so someone might be willing to buy that. But if you say like Rabbi Meir that she's just not allowed to go even a minute without a ksuba, so there is no selling the ksuba because she can't forego the ksuba. Now the idea that uh, that that uh, couple needs to have a ksuba uh, that the Woman needs to have a ksuba. Um, the, Gemara, the Gemara explains why. Time am I? Because we don't want it to be easy for the husband to divorce her. Meaning, if there's not going to be any financial cost to divorcing her, because he's not going to have to pay any ksuba, so then the marriage could end too abruptly without uh, without him giving a proper thought. So hacha lo megarishla di megarishla asuhanich tezabni gav lo ksuba But he says, says the Gemara, but wait, but that shouldn't be a concern over here. Meaning, if the reason that she's selling her Suba is in order to uh, to pay back her assault victim. Uh, the fact that she doesn't have the ksuba is not going to make it easier for the husband to divorce her because the ksuba is still out there. She sold her position in the ksuba to somebody. So as soon as he divorces her, he's going to have to pay it. But just instead of writing the check to her, he's going to write the check to uh, whoever bought her position in the ksuba. 
Ella tovus anon mili ninu umili lo mishtabdi. No, it must be the reason she doesn't have to sell a ksuba to pay back her assault victim is because tovus anaa is considered just words alone. It's not real mamon, and words alone are not mishuba to pay for damages that you do for physically assaulting another person. Only mamon is mishuba to that, and therefore we don't require her to sell a ksuba because it's only mili. Says mili bidinri ninu. What do you mean it's only mili? It's it's mili that has value. There's money you can get for these mealy. So why wouldn't you have to use that uh, that that that, uh, that asset to pay for the uh, assault that she had done? Elamishum de Shmuel. Now the reason that she doesn't have to sell a ksuba in order to pay back uh, her victim is because of what Shmuel taught. If a person sells a shtarchov that he has on a lova uh, to somebody else to collect in his place, and then the, uh, after the mechila, the malvet, after the mechira rather, the malvet turns around and is mochel the chov to the lova. So mochel, it actually works as a mechila. So since the chiv of the lova to pay the lokeach is because of the shibud to the malva himself, and since the malva himself is mochel, so mele, the guy doesn't have to pay the lokeach anymore. And even the yorish of the malva could be mochel, and the mechil is going to be chal, uh, because the yorish is standing in, the, you know, takes the place of the malva as far as that chov is concerned. So since the lova is not chayv to, is only chayv to pay on his account, so uh, the mechila works to pat the lova entirely. So if the woman is going to be chayv to sell her ksuba, betovas hana'a, uh, we're concerned how that's going to play out. She's going to sell her ksuba betovas hana'a, so that she can get some cash to pay back the people that she assaulted. But then we have to be choshesh that uh, she's then going to be mochel the ksuba to the husband. She's then going to tell the husband, by the way, I'm mochel, you don't have to pay my ksuba. But this guy just paid good money for her position in the ksuba, and now she's going to be mochel, and that guy's going to be out of money. So, uh, so therefore, we don't tell a woman to sell the ksuba. So ask him, amri, zbune zabin, Why don't we say that uh, why is this Cheshash, a pater from paying. So let her be mochel. Let her sell her ksuba betovas hana'a to whatever lokeach, and let her pay the money back to her victim that she owes the money to. And if she's mochel, so to the, to the, the ksuba payment to the husband. She says to the husband, you don't have to pay. Okay, fine. So she's mochel. The lokeach will lose out. Why do I care so much that the lokeach is going to lose out? He knows the risks, right? He knows that when he's paying for the tovasa, he's paying tovasa now for the ksuba, that there's a possibility that the woman is just going to be mochel and that he's, it doesn't stand a chance to collect anything. So Amri Baal Vade No, it's not that she might be mochel if the, if it's a sheba that the husband owes her, and now she's not going to get the money anyway anymore. It's a vade she's going to be mochel. And we don't want to like set up a situation where we're encouraging a woman to uh, basically cheat a guy out of money. Right, she's going to sell her position in Ksuba to a guy who then she's just going to for sure turn around and be mochel that whole sheep, but then that guy is never going to get a penny from the Ksuba, he doesn't stand a chance. So we can't allow that to happen. Maybe she should sell her Ksuba to the very person who uh, she was Chavel, for the Tovasana, and that value will be the payment of the Chavala. Meaning if her position in the Ksuba, in her $30,000 Ksuba, is worth $5,000, and she did $5,000 of damage to this guy, so let her just say to the guy, you know what, I don't have any money, here, assume the position in my Ksuba, and now you're paid back the Imachla, because then then, even if in the end she's mochel the ksuba, the gabebal, lo kamafsa, the nechbal won't be losing out. Because 
He's not paying anything out of pocket for it. She's just giving him her, her position in the ksuba. So even if she's mochel, so it turns out she gave him nothing. But without her selling the ksuba, she also gave him nothing. So uh, at least, you know, make it a possibility that she could have what to pay back. So says, It's an exercise in futility because, of course, she's going to be mochel, her husband's uh, obligations in the ksuba. So why go through this whole exercise? Well, we're going to tell a woman assault a guy, right? A woman assaults Ruvain. So we're going to tell the woman, okay, here's what you have to do. You have to give Ruvain your ksuba so that he is now the holder of that, uh, of that document that he's going to get. And, and, and then she's going to turn around. She's going to tell her husband, by the way, I'm mochel. You never have to pay my ksuba. So Bezdin had to make her give the ksuba to Ruvain. Ruvain's never going to collect anything. It's just an exercise in futility. It's not worth it. So I asked the Gemara, Ella, According to this, that the reason the woman doesn't have to sell a ksuba in order to pay back her victim is because we're certain that she's going to be mochal her husband. Hadatanya, that which we say in the in the brisa, What if she assaults her own husband? We don't say that for the payment of that chavala we deduct money from the ksuba. Why doesn't she lose the ksuba? Let her sell the ksuba libayla to the husband for the tovasana. And that way she'll pay back for that chavala that he owes him. What are we concerned about? That she'll be mochel the whole Sheba to the Baal? Uh, he'll be perfectly happy with that, right? He's the victim. So if the husband is the victim, at least make her sell the ksuba to him as payment for that, that she owes him. And there's no concern that she'll be mochel, because if she's mochel, he'll be thrilled. He'll be even happier. So says, No, we're assuming like Shittas Reb Meir, they can't stay married without a ksuba. Because without a ksuba, it becomes too easy to divorce her. And over, over here also, there's a chashash, that if you sell the ksuba to the husband, he's going to divorce her, and it's not going to be hard for him to do. Because he'll be able to collect all the moment of the ksuba in exchange for the chavala that she had done to him. So it will cost him zero dollars to get divorced. And that's an, that's an untenable situation. We cannot allow a marriage to go on like that, where it's too easy for, uh, for him to get divorced. If that's the case, that we have to be choshesh, that the woman's going to be of because he's not going to have to pay her anything when they get divorced. So, even now that it's Kalabin of Lagarsha, even now it should still be Kalabin of Lagarsha. Because if we're going to, even if you're going to make him pay her Ksuba, but once he pays her Ksuba, he'll be able to then collect that money right back. Meaning, anytime a woman assaults her husband, it's automatically going to be Kalabin of Lagarsha. Because when a woman assaults her husband, she owes him money. Elamish doesn't have any money to pay. Now he knows, okay, as soon as I divorce her, I write her a check for $30,000, then she writes it right back to me because she owes me that money from the assault that she, uh, that she did to me. So it will be vital Kalabin of Lagarsha. It's not going to cost him any money. So says Mark, go to Nafesh Ksuba, the Mishimah Uporta, Lomav Satuva. No, no, the Ksuba is worth $30,000. The assault that she did to him is uh, worth $10. So uh, he knows that she'll write back ten dollars to him, but that's not. It's still going to be. Uh, it's still not going to be easy for him to divorce her because he's still going to lose a lot of money. Well, the Eden of Yishak Ksuba and if we're talking about a case that the value of the Ksuba 
is uh, greater than the actual Ksubhadarais of the Manu Masayim that he's obligated to write to her, uh, meaning he's, uh, he owes her more than the Manu Masayim. So then the Kasha should come back that she's able to sell that Ksuba to the husband himself and pay for the Chavala. Nukma Ksubhadarais. Let the Chiv of the husband to the woman remain just the Ksuba Minatara, meaning the Manu Masayim. And uh, therefore, you solved your Kalabain of Lotzia issue. Because as long as you have the Manu Masayim that the Torah requires, it's not going to be Kalabain of Lotzia. And whatever else he owes beyond the man of Asayim, let her sell that to the husband, so that she could pay for the assault that she did to the husband. The Idach, whatever extra there is, let her sell it to the husband for the Dmei Chavala that she owes him. So why does Bryce say that a woman who is Chaval Bebaila doesn't lose her Ksuba? It sounds like she doesn't lose at all. So says Gemara, no, the Gemara answers, we're talking about a case where there isn't the ksuba is not worth much more than the ksuba daraisa, and therefore she's not able to sell the ksuba to the husband because if she would tell, sell it to the husband, they'd be without any ksuba, and therefore it would be kalabain of lehotzia. So that's why the price says that she doesn't lose the uh, ksuba, even though he'll be able to collect it dmei chavala after they get divorced. It's not kalabain of lagarsha because tavei chavle arba The value of the chavala is four zuz. Dimishmar ba lo mafsid esrim v'chamisha. The value of the ksuba is. 25 slaim, the value of the chaval is only 4 zuz, so a guy's not going to say, oh, I'll divorce my wife, and I'll pay the 25 slaim of the ksuba, because anyway I'm getting 4 zuz right back. 4 zuz is not enough, it's still going to not be kalabin, it's still going to not be kalabin of lotzio, because he's going to lose out a lot of money. So, uh, so we, we had said though, that if there's tosefes, if there's a lot of extra in the ksuba, that she could sell to the husband, to pay for the assault. Ella had but according to that, that if there's Tosefes, she's able to sell that to the husband. Had that which we said in the Brisa, that the Brisa continued, Kishem Shalot Timkar. Just like a woman is not able to sell her ksuba to other people, vihi tachtav, while she's still married, tafsid vihi tachtav. So too, she cannot lose her ksuba while she's still married. And the Gemara assumes that this means that she cannot uh, deduct from the amount of her ksuba on, on account of anything, even if she did a chavala and she needs to pay for it. But isn't this difficult? Because there are cases where she will lose some of the ksuba amount when she was chavala husband. Let's say the ksuba is not worth just the mana masayim. The ksuba is worth $30,000. So then we said that it's a reasonable thing to say, keep the mana masayim in place. So it's going to be lote kalabin of lotzia. And the tosefes let her sell to the husband for tovas And that money will be used to pay for the chavala. Isn't that against what the tosefta says? That no, you're not allowed to be mafsa the ksuba at all? So I'm a rabba, seifa asa'an l'ksuba spin No, the seifa is talking about a different din. It's not talking about the actual tosefes ksuba. It's talking about the ksubas bin adichrin, that it's a tonight basin, that if a woman dies while her husband's alive, and Mimela, she does not collect her ksuba, when the husband dies, her male children from that husband are going to uh, yarshin the ksuba money um, the, from, from their father. Meaning normally a man dies, so all of his children from all of his wives split the money evenly with a Bukhar getting Pishnayim, but everyone splits the money evenly. But uh, there are certain parts of the money, there are certain parts of his account that were the ksuba money that, that belonged to this wife that are now earmarked dafka for her children. That's a special takana called ksuba spinadichrin. Vachik and that's what the Tosefta is saying. Kishem shamacharis ksuba Just like a woman 
who uh, sells Suksuba to other people that they should be able to collect it if she becomes an Alman or a Grusha and uh, if she dies uh, d- during her husband's uh, lifetime then the Lokeach won't get anything so Lo Hifsida she doesn't lose the Zchus of Ksubas Ben and Dichrin um, meaning that her, her, her male sons are still going to Yarshin or Ksuba after the, the husband dies um, so the, like, like the Ikra didn't we don't say that she was Posheya by selling her position in the Ksuba and if she were alive they would not be able to collect it so Melo now that she's dead and the husband dies they're not going to be able to collect it either no they'll still collect it my time why is it that the children don't lose that right Zuzi Hudansua she needed the money so she sold the Ksuba but she wasn't trying to you know to, to sell out her entire position and anything that's going to benefit her children like the Ksuba so so too if a woman sells her own Ksuba rights to her husband she still doesn't lose the Ksuba her sons are still going to get that Ksuba money when the husband dies as their Chelek of the Yerusha my time why don't we assume she sold those rights because obviously she needed the money and that's the only reason she uh, she sold out anything over here but not because she was actually looking to sell out her rights in the Ksuba now this whole idea of Shlotei Kalabin of Lotzia highlights the point that a Ksuba really belongs to the Isha that's why we have a minute that under the the, the chasen gives the ksuba to the kala because it's really supposed to be hers. That's what a lot of the posts can discuss uh, the practice that some people have to hang the ksuba on the wall, and some of them don't like it so much because the husband has equal access to that. The husband should There was a minigin yushlaim, a minig in many places, was that the ksuba is not kept at the young couple's home, that the kala's parents keep the ksuba because it should be somewhere that the husband doesn't have uh, easy access to it. That would be the ideal, uh, the ideal place to keep it. Ramesha writes like that. And Ramesha says, says, if she's comfortable leaving there because she knows he would never he would never go take the ksuba, then that's okay. But not because she thinks he's never going to divorce her. Uh, if, if that's why she thinks he would never take it, because they're going to be happily married forever. No, that's the whole point of a ksuba. It has to be that she knows that he's such an inherently honest person, that even if they weren't to get divorced and they hated each other, he still wouldn't do that. Only then can you keep the ksuba in a frame on a wall or something like that. That's what Amesha writes. Okay, have a great day, everybody.